You're listening to The Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Well, hello and welcome to a beautiful day in the city of Toronto. Just gorgeous out there. I had one of those days yesterday where things went wrong. Uh, They were going so right until they went wrong. And the moment they went wrong is when I decided to recline on the couch. And I thought, I'm going to kick it right back. And I wedged my back into it. And I'm really going to enjoy this. I'm really wedged into it. And then I thought, what is that poking into my back right there? Oh, those are my glasses. So I've crushed my glasses. I've had them fixed. But today, they are a little wonky. To the I, You know, I had them sort of put back together, but they, just like Humpty Dumpty, they never go back together right. And so now I am the guy wandering around with the lopsided glasses. And even though my eyesight is bad, my vision is clear. And my vision is to live in a society where government jobs are given out by patronage. No, not patronage. By merit. You know what the word of the day is today, ladies and gentlemen? It's this. Nepotism. The favoring of relatives or personal friends because of their relationship rather than because of their abilities. Nepotism. Nepotism. Say it with me. It continues to engulf the Ford government. And pity poor Lisa Thompson, shunted from education to being Minister of Government and Consumer Services. And the reason she was moved from that hot file of education... One of the criticisms, even publicly from the premier, although he didn't name her, he pretty much said as much, was that the government had done a poor job communicating its priorities and what the government is doing. But now, caught in an ever-expanding patronage scandal surrounding the now-ousted chief of staff, Dean French... Don't let the door hit you on the way out! The progressive conservative government has largely gone to ground as an ever-expanding number of appointments come under scrutiny. And it is telling of the drift and the lack of control at the center that the Premier's office would allow one of its worst communicators, this by its very own admission, to be the first to face the Queen's Park Press Gallery. Well, that's precisely what happened this morning. Minister Thompson was at the Royal Ontario Museum. She wanted to talk about data. Well, surprise, surprise, none of the reporters wanted to ask her about what she was there to talk about. All the questions were about patronage, Dean French, and... Nepotism. The favoring of relatives or personal friends because of their relationship rather than because of their abilities. Nepotism. So clearly the minister was at least briefed and had a stock answer and some talking points. Here is her first answer to questions about Dean French and patronage in the Ford government. Do you know that the reality is, you know, we need to be taking a look and supporting our premier because he's explicitly said, and I support this, that we'll be reviewing all appointments and going forward, you know what, will be reviewing everyone to make sure that they've received an appointment based on their merits and their expertise. You know, I'm disappointed, as is the Premier, in what has happened, 
but I can tell you we are united as a team to ensure that going forward everyone hired by government or appointed will be done and they'll be appointed or hired based on their merits and of course performance reviews are paramount as well. That is Lisa Thompson, the Minister of Government, uh, doing a, uh, a job, a sell job, really, for the progressive conservative government. And I don't think too bad there. She was at the Royal Ontario Museum, wanted to talk about data this morning. She is, again, the Minister of Government and Consumer Services after being shuffled out of education. Well, surprise, surprise. Reporters were not entirely satisfied with that. So let's ask again, shall we? Hey, what about Mr. French and all his protégés? As I mentioned before, I was only going to take a couple of questions on this because I really want to talk about how this government is working for the people of Ontario in terms of releasing and announcing our strategy today. Nepotism! Rascalism! I don't think that was the question. So... Mm, not enough. Now listen here and enjoy this as the minister somehow pivots from a question about the appointment system and whether the whole thing is broken to talking about the Baltic states. You know, uh, quite simply, no. And what else is very, very important is that we catch up to countries like Estonia and Denmark in terms of data strategies. We're lagging behind. We once were the economic engine of Canada. (laughs) What? (laughs) I mean, you know, I, I, I do feel for the minister, but why? Why would they put her out there like that? The economic engine. Well, you know, that reminds me of Estonia. (laughs) And of course, uh, the, the, the fallout continues. Here is from iPolitics this morning, Marika Walsh, with a, a scoop that says, uh, Ontario MPP King Asurma's father scored a job in Premier Doug Ford's government after the 2018 election. That, according to sources in the Progressive Conservative Party, Surma, who had been in the Premier's inner circle since the two worked at Toronto City Hall, was appointed Associate Transportation Minister in that cabinet shuffle last week. And according to the government's directory... Miroslav Surma is a policy advisor in the Minister of Economic Development's offices. Several conservative sources told iPolitics he is Surma's dad. Neither Surma nor her dad replied to requests for comment on Wednesday, and the Premier's office did not answer questions about the process involved in his hirings, what his previous qualifications were, and whether or not Ford was involved. So this continues. To reverberate. It has not ended yet. And even though, even though they have showed the chief of staff the door. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. It still continues to reverberate. And once again, and I have been critical of this government on its communications. And I want to make this point clear. Because sometimes I get calls or I get emails and people say, look, you're, we, we feel that you're biased. That you're lefty. And I am agnostic on these things. I have no opinion. I'm not going to give you my opinion. I'm not here to tell you about policy. I'm not here to comment on whether or not this is the correct direction for the government. I don't think that's my job. My job is to explain to you what really is going on. And also 
to pull back the curtain a little bit on how government works. And when you have this kind of dysfunction at the center, where there is no control over the communication style, over who they put out, over who they put in harm's way, why would they do this to Lisa Thompson? It doesn't make sense. So my criticism remains of the government's ability to communicate with you. And I don't think they've done a very good job of it. And I think they might have been able to garner some some sympathy when the premier came out and said, look, we haven't done all that well on the communications file. We've done all of these great things, but we haven't talked all that well. We haven't communicated what we've done all that well. And then a couple of hours later, it breaks, this whole Dean French thing breaks. And next thing you know, Dean French is out the door. Or then Izzy, because he's back in on the Monday saying, oh, I'm still in charge. And then the premier's got to put on a note saying, no, he's not in charge. Oh, and by the way, I am now accepting the resignations of pretty much anybody that that guy put into place. And so it continues to spin and spin and spin. The word of the day. Nepotism. The favoring of relatives or personal friends because of their relationship rather than because of their abilities. Nepotism. I want to quickly talk about clothing and what women wear, because it's in the news in two places. And I'll begin in France, where two municipal swimming pools in the southeastern French city of Grenoble have been shut down despite a heat wave after a row over the use of full-body Islamic burkinis. On Sunday and last month, Muslim women clad in burkinis went to swim in the pools at the initiative of a rights group despite a municipal ban on the full-body swimwear. The lifeguards at the pools asked for the shutdown because, quote, they are there to maintain safety and they cannot do that when they have to worry about the crowds. That's the quote. And those crowds generated by those controversial swimsuits. This is the latest upset and dispute in France over face and body covering arguments worn by Muslim women. Many perceive as those subjugating women in a country with strict laws on secularism. France has the has the has Europe's largest Muslim population, pardon me, and it was the first European country to ban the full veil in public spaces back in 2011. Now, check out this pivot. Kim Kardashian West is in trouble because of what she's wearing. And this because she has released a new clothing line called Kimono Solution Wear. It comes in a range of sizes and colors that she showed off on Instagram, but Japanese critics say that the name, which West has trademarked, is inappropriate, it's a take on a centuries-old kimono clothing, and that it is appropriation, cultural appropriation. Two bits of clothing news for you there. As we talk about photo radar and your safety on the roads is the subject of our next segment. On December 1st, the city expects to have 50 photo radar cameras across Toronto electronically catching speeders near schools and other places where pedestrians and cyclists are at high risk. 
A report going to the city committee says that as well as making Toronto's deadly streets safer, automated speed enforcement will, assuming the Ontario government makes the required changes to the regulation, net the city about $11 million in revenue. So cash grab or safety? And is this next thing a marketing genius move or actually a legitimate look at your safety? Aviva Canada has now said that it will take back these flags, these pedestrian flags that it went in, installed in a number of uh, intersections around the city. It did so without permission, and the city released a statement yesterday basically saying, thank you, but no thank you, please take these back. We have something called due process. Catherine Brown is with Aviva. She's the vice president of corporate social responsibility and marketing. Catherine Brown joins us on the line now. Hi, Catherine. Hi, how Why did, are you? I'm good. Why did you? Why did Aviva decide to put these pedestrian flags out there in the first place, knowing that you didn't have uh, permission from the city? Well, the flags were part of a larger campaign called Take Back Our Roads that we're just actually launching today. It was one initiative that we were inspired by a community-based uh, program that was in uh, Davisville and Leaside that was based on grassroots uh, community coming together to put the flags out there. So we were wanting to highlight um, those grassroots initiatives. We selected the intersections where we placed them based on our own claims data and uh, where we ha- saw the highest frequency and severity in accidents. So we, we were highlighting those areas. It, it honestly was a miscommunication between the city and ourselves. We've met with Vision Zero in the city of Toronto and we're looking to keep them updated on the platform and it was a miscommunication and that's why we respect their request to take them down, and we took all the flags down last evening. It's It seems crazy. People were using the flags. That's what your data showed? Yeah, absolutely. People were using the flags to cross the street, and, and creating more visibility around pedestrian safety really was the goal. Does it seem unnecessarily burdensome in terms of regulation, not just to say, well, look, this seems to be working, let's just leave this in place until we can come up with a a, a way to work it through the regulations? Well, we respect the City of Toronto and their decision to take it down, and we're looking forward to collaborating with them on the Take Back Our Roads initiative moving forward in a productive way that we can make the roads safer for everyone. And do you believe that um, putting in photo radar cameras... is that something that Aviva, I know I don't know if you take a position as an organization on those, but whether or not that is part of a larger suite of measures that will make our roads safer? There's a number of different influences when we take a look at road safety, and enforcement is, is definitely a piece. So we uh, are looking to partner with different organizations. We've talked to different OPP detachments. Um, to understand what their challenges are and how we can help and and collaborate together on that. Enforcement and taking a look at photo enforcement is one way to to drive safer roads. And so we're looking to just have the conversation and make sure that there's awareness and visibility around where those areas are that have the highest incidence of collisions and how can we help them narrow the focus of a campaign that drives enforcement. When drivers hear of this, and of course they they look at the net revenue to the city looking to be about $11 million a year, there is not only that in terms of fines, but uh, if you 
you know, you get a bunch of these fines, then next thing you know, your insurance rates go up. And is that something that you're looking at, the impact on drivers long term if they're netted by and nabbed by these sort of photo radar cameras? Uh, that's really a consideration of, of this platform, and, and of course, that's something being an insurance company that we would be mindful of and understanding, creating awareness for the education part of it too with customers on uh, the consequences of, of tickets and, and speeding, I think is important. So education will be there and creating awareness, but that's not a focus of the platform. The platform is more focused on taking our own data and identifying uh, key problems on our roads and then proactively going out and collaborating with different stakeholder groups to, to make our roads safer. How has the relationship been with the Vision Zero representatives from the City Hall? You, you mentioned a bit of a miscommunication here. How is that relationship? We're really looking forward to working with Vision Zero, and they do have a lot on their plate, uh, and they've got a lot of attention over the last couple of years. So they have different priorities, and we're just looking to be able to collaborate with them, be able to provide our own data to really amplify their programs and and work with them in whatever way makes sense. So we're going to be sitting down with them and making sure that we're all on the same page moving forward and identifying how we collectively can, can make safer roads. Catherine Brown is Vice President of Corporate Social Responsibility and Marketing at Aviva, which today launched a new platform talking about road safety. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much. I want to talk about a couple other quick stories, if I might. We talked about speeding. Well, in Chicago, no. In Chicago, pardon me. The governor of Illinois, uh, the press secretary of the governor, says now he is confirming that the governor received a warning for speeding, except for he was driving a boat. He was speeding during a boating trip in Geneva Lake in Wisconsin, the spokesperson telling the Chicago Tribune that the uh, the governor was traveling in a boat at 41 miles per hour at 8.30 p.m. when he was given a warning. He was, quote, enjoying a weekend at the lake with his family. No other details. Boating regulation site, 35 miles per hour boat speed limits. I'm sorry, I don't have the conversion right on off the top of my head, but there you go. So... Whether you're in a car or whether you're in a boat, watch the lead foot or arm, as it would be in that case. In Baltimore, this is an amazing story. Baltimore city officials have approved $10 million now to spend in excess revenue to cover the ongoing cost of cyber attacks that immobilized some of the city systems almost two months ago. Now, this report is, says that the City Estimate Board has approved the emergency funds to help the hack recovery process, which is now moving into its eighth week. The city's budget office estimated the total cost of responding to that hack, $18 million. That is something that the City of Toronto will have to be aware of, and we talked about in our last segment, about an announcement from the provincial government about data protection that no one paid any attention to because we are only talking about the following today. Nepotism. The favoring of relatives or personal friends because of their relationship rather than because of their abilities. Nepotism. Here is something that the Ford government might consider to turn the page. This from Mexico City. Mexico's president, pardon me, refuses to live in the luxurious official residence 
and now he's planning to downsize even further by moving to an unused apartment at his office downtown. He's notoriously parsimonious. There's a word for you. Uh, and he turned the old presidential compound into an arts and uh, arts center. It lives at his private home. Now, he has promised that nothing would happen to a tribe of cats that live in a garden in one of his building's patios. That is something the Ford government might want to consider. I mean, it's not like you have an official residence to move out of Doug Ford, but perhaps think about bringing in a tribe of cats. Because you probably have a better time hurting them than controlling the leaks that continue to plague this government. Do we have time for one more? Hey, listen, listen. Governor General Julie Payette has named 83 more Canadians to the Order of Canada. The list out this morning from Rideau Hall includes athletes, researchers, teachers, scientists, artists, actors from all across the country. Notable names, former National Hockey League player Reggie Leach, one-time Montreal Expo Claude Raymond, former Commissioner of Nunavut. Who else do we have here? Oh, yeah. CTV News journalist Lisa Laflemme. Hmm. Lisa deserves this, absolutely. But uh, let me just say I got my eye on my mailbox. <laughs> Not going to happen. I've got a box in a hidden place In my bugger and child's room A stack of letters with silly secrets And stories start to be true You sent your picture on a little paper Telling your first trip to Paris I had some sun from a nano in the summer And some sweet words to sleep Big transportation news coming out of Calgary, where a company backed by Toronto Raptors founder John Bitto is going to bring e-scooter rentals to Calgary and Edmonton in early July. Newly founded Bird Canada says Alberta will be launching, will be the launching point, pardon me, for its line of dockless electric-powered scooters. It plans to expand to other areas across the country. Kelowna, British Columbia is next. There has been much controversy over these scooters. If you have been to the United States, especially to California, major cities in California, you know it has become a problem in some places with scooters just tossed everywhere. What does it mean for Canada? What does it mean for Toronto? Bird Canada CEO Stuart Lyons joins me on the phone now. Hi, Stuart. How are you? Hi, how are you? I'm great, thank you. Why Alberta first for Bird? Well, uh, simply put, Alberta is furthest along in the regulatory process, which we think is a, a wonderful sort of uh, feather in their cap and their focus on technology uh, and sort of forward thinking on a transportation perspective. So, yeah, they're, they're both Calgary and Edmonton are imminently uh, allowing scooters on, on, on city streets. Uh, we anticipate being ready to go in and around uh, Stampede, which obviously is coming up in the next uh, week or so. So, yeah, Calgary and Edmonton and the rest of Alberta are leading the way uh, in this country for allowing scooters on streets. Followed closely by Kelowna, which has also allowed the program. We've already been approved in Kelowna, British Columbia, 
and uh, Victoria's expressed an interest as well. And the rest of the cities in Canada, I think, will follow hopefully shortly thereafter. These devices have attracted some complaints in a number of cities in the United States because of the littering issue. I was recently in Oakland. I saw many different scooters just sort of lying out on the streets. How are you going to address that potential problem? So, so they, uh, thank you. It's a great question, Alan. But that, that is something that we're very focused on and how we kind of launched the business, uh, given the way it launched initially. Initially, they just didn't know about that being an issue, didn't anticipate it quite to the extent that it occurred. So they weren't as focused at solving it. Nowadays, they are very focused on solving it. And uh, our business, our version of the business model uh, will actually have full-time staff that go either in the middle of the day or at night to move scooters around. We obviously track them. We know their location. We have uh, algorithms that can tell you where best to deploy them. So we'll actually be consciously moving them around on a fairly regular basis, purposely to avoid both the clutter issue and people not getting scooters when they want them. The history of these kinds of companies has been a history of disruption, of just moving into municipalities and then just sort of waiting for uh, regulation to catch up. Would you do that in Toronto, just move in prior to regulation? That's not our intention. Uh, I I, I jokingly tell my American colleagues we do things the Canadian way, which which in my mind means you work work with regulators. You, You don't thumb your nose or trying to work with, with um, with folks as opposed to work against them, and that's you know I've got a lot of experience in other regulatory avenues, and that's typically the way I've done things, and um, it's been successful, obviously, and the regulators always appreciate it, and and we appreciate it as someone who lives here, works here, and you know, and and, and you know wants to wants to be a good member of of of, of, of the society. Toronto City Council is famously dysfunctional and takes a long time to make decisions. In the most recent talk from city councillors is, well, this debate is for another time. Here you are now in so many cities in the United States, now moving into Alberta. Would you rule out just moving in if this debate just takes too long? Well, you know, the, the, the issues isn't so much even that. It's the fact that people are buying scooters, so you can either ride-share them with a, a company like ours, and we have, I guess, what you call more expensive, industrial-grade you know, very sturdy kind of you know, purpose-built scooters, or you can just buy them. And now sales of scooters are, are, are kind of really uh, uh, hitting epic proportions in and around the GTA and elsewhere across Canada. So, you know, the issue isn't even just really what we do. The issue is more so that people will just start using them. So this is one of those things that city council is just going to have to grapple with sooner rather than later and, uh, and kind of just, you know, 120 cities around the world have, have bird scooters, I don't know why Toronto wouldn't want to be 121st. You know, it's not like it's something that where the lessons aren't learned, that people don't know what to expect. It's all out there for people to know. So there really isn't much excuse for, for, for not regulating it uh, in a proper, quick manner. In terms of scooters, Ford has purchased Spin recently for $100 million. Uber has revealed a new skeeter, a scooter. Uh, and Lyft has rolled out its own shared electric scooters it seems like a crowded marketplace. Why is Bird going to survive and others not? So Bird is, you know, pretty much the originator, and they're certainly the biggest player in the space. Uh, and the reason why they've gotten there is a whole bunch of factors. Technology-wise, they've had the greatest investment in technology and how the app performs, how they deploy scooters, and how the scooters perform. Bird is at the point now where they custom design uh, in an R&D facility in, in California, they custom designed these scooters from the ground up to perform 
uh, as needed for North American cities, whether they be wintry cities like a, like a Toronto or a Calgary or whatever Canadian city you want to name, or, or cities that, are, that have different climates. So they, they actually design these scooters now from the ground up. So their technology is the most superior, their knowledge is the most superior, and they're now you know, more or less the biggest player out there. So um, you know, we, we, we think that we've partnered with the, with the right partner to be successful in this country for sure. Bird Canada CEO, Stuart Lyons. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you very much. In terms of cost, uh, Mr. Lyons says that customers will be able to use the machines at a cost of about a buck fifteen to begin, and then thirty-five cents a minute after. A rate that he says makes the service competitive with public transit. The company expecting to put five hundred to a thousand scooters in each city, both in Edmonton and Calgary, and sort of the way it works, and it's key to stress again that these are dockless. It's not like the bike share, you don't have to put it back in a dock, and you basically, it's just there, and you're like, oh, there's a scooter, and you wander over to it, and, you know, you have the app on your phone, and you just, you know, scan the little code on the thing, and boom, away you go, and you just step on it, and away you go, mowing down pedestrians left and right, and that is going to be a problem as well, because... In a number of U.S. cities, there have been concerns about pedestrian safety. There has been a fatality in one American city, and the mayor there says that these things have got to be pulled off the road altogether. So it is not a done deal yet whether or not whether or not the founders of Bird Canada believe it is. And interesting to hear in that interview, the answer to my question was not there. I asked it twice. Would you be willing Will you come to Toronto and just just start up business without any regulation? And, you know, there's a difference between that's not our intention and we won't do that. Important distinction there. Today is Swipe Right Thursday. Some people call it Throwback Thursday. They want to sh- pictures or whatever you want. No. No, I'm here to provide a service. I don't, I'm not looking in the rearview mirror, dear listener. I am here to help you swipe right. Namely, how is it that you craft a great online dating profile? For those of you singles out there, and I am speaking to all of you, whether or not you're millennials, you're in your 20s, maybe you're in your 60s, you got to get on the sites. That's how the thing works these days, folks. And I am reading to you now from the Huffington Post, which uh, kindly published a guide, five quick tips to the perfect online dating profile. And I'm not going to read them all to you because some of them are just self-evident. There's also not one in here about no bathroom selfies. I think that that should be self-evident. And also, if you must put a bathroom selfie in with your photos, please clean up the bathroom. Are you stupid? Are you dumb? That seems to be somewhat obvious. Also, number four on this list, leave out the negative and the snarky. I'm quoting here. It amazes me how many people use their precious profile real estate to talk about what they don't want, their cynicism, their bitterness, their pessimism, negativity is not sexy. 
That is truth. That is the truth, Ruth. Continuing on with our look at dating, there is a new study out of Azusa Pacific University that says 23 to 33% of women had engaged in something called a foodie call. A foodie call. Don't call the CRTC on me now. Listen closely. It quotes one woman as saying, when I was dating, I remember it was almost expected and the norm for the man to pay the bill. So when it's dinner during, you know, the initial date, perhaps it goes to one gender and not the other. It seems like a bit of an antiquated idea. But it still exists, at least according to this survey. To talk more about dating issues, swiping right, and who picks up the tab at dinner, I am pleased to welcome to the program Shannon Tebb, who is a dating coach, also has a website called Shanny in the City, and helps all kinds of people swipe right. Hi, Shannon. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Let's begin, shall we, with writing the perfect profile. Bathroom selfies in or out? Out. Any selfie should be out. Well, wait a second. With with a selfie, a lot of times it's just the face, the facial profile that's showing, and you don't get to see the full body as well, so that can be a little misleading. So when you are swiping right, you're just seeing a a picture versus the whole, you know, the whole physique. So I think you need to get someone to take a picture for you that represents you in the best way. How many times have I seen this one? The, uh, the, clearly the only photos they have are them with an X. And there's somewhat, you know, it's no. kind of that uncomfortable <laughs> cropping where it's clear there's yeah. an arm around a shoulder, but you only see like a half of a face or just an earlobe in the shot. I know, and that's the case with a lot of guys. I know a lot of guys don't have a lot of like profile photos on hand. So that's why with my service, I also offer an online profile editing where we actually take really great photos of you um, so that you can include them in the profile. But there's an element of if the photo is too done, then you're like, well, dude has clearly gone to like a professional here. And yeah, you know, you got to get it's got to be grainy still to some level, right? Well, it it should be nice and clear and it should showcase you um, in areas where you have hobbies and common interests. So it can be like a traveling pic. If you like mountain biking, you're on a mountain bike. Something that's going to create a conversation based on the profile photos, not just here's me in, you know, dressed up, here's me here. It has to engage and, um, you know, engage some conversation. Here's a couple other, I think, no-goes on the photos. We talked about the bathroom selfie. No. (laughs) Uh, Any kind of pose with a drug tiger should not be. No. Any, like any, nothing like that. I would say pictures in general that include more than one person, it should just be of you. This is your profile. And as soon as you, like, have pictures with, like, buddies in them and, like, other friends, a lot of people can get distracted by that and may be interested in, you know, the other person versus you in the bio. So you want to make this profile all about you. It's about showcasing your best attributes. I have actually done, back in my day, when you know, I had actually, like, I've actually had that happen. Like, what about the dude to the left? <laughs> yes, Is he? I'm, I'm not interested in you, sorry, but the dude oh, on the left <laughs> actually did that. Um, but uh, here's, here's the other one that I think should not be allowed. Uh, any mm-hmm. pictures of yourself posting in front of Machu Picchu? Out. 
Um, I sure? I swear yeah. to God, I have seen that on a bazillion. F- and Robert over there is laughing hard because I've seen that a million times. No pictures of yourself in front of Machu Picchu. No. No. <laughs> All right, let's move on to this other thing that yeah, I talked about no, yes, okay. with 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 this whole who picks up the dinner. Foodie date. Yeah, this whole foodie date. Is that a real thing? So, yeah, the article came out in the New York Post, and I actually spoke about this and made a, a video um, a few days back. And, yeah, basically it's, it's, it's like you're going out on these dates for a free meal versus a relationship. So with the foodie call, it's, you know, the woman's in, she's, she's having a nice dinner, all of a sudden she becomes tired and she may, the, the man picks up the tab and then you may not hear from her again. Now, I'm not saying every woman does this, but for these foodie calls, it's more about going out for a free meal versus, you know, having a connection with someone. I, I, you know, this, uh, this seems very dangerous ground for a man to go into and start talking about, well, you yeah. know, you're just here for the free dinner. It just like, man, that is danger territory right there. Well, this is why, um, so my advice is not to have these elaborate dinner dates as a first date. I always think it's best to start with after work drinks, sit at the bar versus a dining table where you're not stuck in a three course dinner. Um, and again, maybe start with a planned activity. I'm not really into coffee dates because I find that they become interviews, but you want to, you know, just that initial meeting and it should be short and casual um, over a drink versus like a full dining experience. Okay, I, that I get because mm-hmm. I mean I think anybody who's ever been in that situation where like where you sit down and you're like oh my god I'm gonna be here for ninety <laughs> minutes stuck. now I'm <laughs> yeah. stuck how do I get out of here yeah. and I'm not gonna get out of here and uh, it's not fair for the guy who's who's picking up the tab right because if he's picking up the tab and it's a two hundred fifty dollar bill and he doesn't see this person again he's going to feel you know, like he's kind of taken for granted. So that's why I, I made a post the other day about, you know, giving strategic tips to gentlemen and females who feel like they're falling into these foodie traps, how to avoid them. No foodie tabs, traps here. No foodies. Okay. Shannon yeah. Tebb is a dating coach and a relationship expert. Thank you so much. Really fascinating to talk to you with you. So thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. All right. Let's move on real quick because we have a bit of a, a, bit of a sad moment here because you may know that uh, th- that my producer every day rips off these pieces of wire copy for me and gives them to me, and we do a thing called Rip and Read. Well, Re- Rebecca Coots is not going to be with us any longer, at least not going to be with me because I'm away next week, and then you're away, and you're on. The- what? Where are you going? Why are you leaving me? Uh, well, my uh, we are moving to Burbank, California, California. My husband's been out there for quite a while, and uh, I have three children on my own here in Toronto, so it might be nice for a little while to have the family all together out there. Oh, that's that's sweet. Now, are you going to be living on a game show set? <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's it's going to be great. Yeah, they pay well, I hear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah get a dog out of the deal, too. Family feud! <laughs> uh, Rebecca, you have some rip and reads for me today. I have some rip and read. Yeah. I think All right. This this is going to be great. I, I'm excited about this. I'm very very sad to see you go, but you have been a wonderful part of this show, and you made it go just tickety boo. And I appreciate you putting up with my diva behavior day in day out. I'm happy anytime. Hit me with a beat, Rob. <laughs> Rebecca is going to be my hype woman. Uh uh. Later, we're going to hug like Keanu Reeves. We're not going to touch. It's Keanu Reeves by Logic is the Beat. 
The anchor man is Alan Carter. We're ripping and we're reading. Pennsylvania man allegedly built bomb to warn about aliens who plan to destroy planet. A man allegedly placed a homemade bomb behind a Pennsylvania hotel on Sunday claimed it was a warning that aliens will destroy the planet if humans didn't start being good people. According to police. Love Pennsylvania homies. Japanese Railway says dead slug responsible for chaos that delayed 12,000 train passengers. A power outage in Japan last month delayed 12,000 train passengers and railway officials have found the culprit. A dead slug is to blame for the outage, which stopped dozens of trains operated by a railway company. This happening May 30th. Squishy. Doctors remove 10-inch knife from teenager's brain. The family of a 15-year-old Kansas boy is breathing a sigh of relief after doctors were able to remove a 10-inch knife that was lodged in his brain. Eli Gregg was playing Saturday with other kids when, kids when his mother heard him scream. She figured it was just part of horseplay, but turned out, no, it was a piece of metal in his face. It was shocking. Apparently, he was handling the knife when he fell. It went through his face. The procedure, though, was successful. Eli, he's on the road to recovery. Like Brian Adams says, it cuts like a knife. Yikes. 47 Jimmy Buffett fans felled by violent illness on Dominican Republic trip. Scores of Jimmy Buffett fans from Oklahoma became violently ill in a hotel at the in the Dominican Republic 47 of the 114 people on the trip suffered crippling vomiting diarrhea headaches fevers chills and dizziness that ain't margaritaville last one take it out meet the resident of a norwegian island who wanted to kill time literally on this Norwegian island, when the clock strikes 12, the island's residents are playing, working, and fishing. But this guy doesn't want to listen. If he gets his way, the clocks will stop ticking, the alarms will cease their noise. Why do we need time and clocks when there's no night, reads the campaign's Facebook page. If there's no time, then our time is not up. And if our time is not up, we don't have to say goodbye to Rebecca. We just keep on spinning. Let that beat ride out. Say goodbye to the people, Rebecca. Goodbye. Peace out. See you again tomorrow. The time has come. Yeah.